all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? <laughs> I'm Rachel. And I'm David. And this is All Bad Things. <laughs> Post Super Tuesday edition. Ugh. So today's topic is my experience as, an, as a poll official. No. Poll worker. Well, or poll official, poll official sure. I think, is the official title. But anyway. I was thinking poll official might uh, go towards strip club, but that's just me. Well, I thought poll worker sounded like a strip club. That too. Work in the polls. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, follow we're, we're us. We're sorry for any of our poll dancer friends that might, may or may not be out there. There's nothing to apologize for because it's, it's fine. You do what you do. It's an honest profession. Absolutely. Um, follow us at, if you want to anymore. At All Bad Things Pod, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Yeah, I have a feeling some one star reviews are coming down the highway right Let now. Let them fucking come. <laughs> Funny, that's what they said at the strip club, too. Har, har. <laughs> oh. We are just off to a good start tonight, aren't we? Oh, <laughs> uh, it's still tax season. I don't know if I've mentioned that lately. Um, but yes, rate, review, rescribe. If you give us a one star, we'll drag you. All uh, the usuals. And it's still uh, people calling out of work season for me. So. <laughs> oh yeah, did more people call out? Yeah. I didn't. Haven't seen you in a little while because no. uh, <laughs> you were working, Not and then I was working a fifteen-hour day at the polls. No, Monday night we were down two guys, and last night we were down one guy. And mm. I was like, it still it wasn't that bad, but still it was just like okay. We still more I'm, work per I'm person. Gonna have to do a lot more work tonight than usual. Than I'm paid to do. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah, very true. Um. Uh, feel free to join our Facebook group. Um, just answer the question and you're good to go. Um, and I'll try not... So we had somebody try to join. And I guess um, like their request had just come through. I must have been on Facebook at the time. And nothing appeared under their answer. So I immediately like declined their request. And as I was declining it on my browser window. <laughs> it picked up. The, yeah, it picked up the answer. And then I had to message the person and be like, I'm sorry, can you try again? <laughs> can you resubmit your your, that, over, that was... your favorite tragedy? Yeah. <laughs> Relive it in all its gory detail, yeah. So anyway, I don't have anything interesting to say to you. I have plenty interesting to say. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just not going to say it. <laughs> Is it about Super Tuesday? Or? Yeah, okay. but yeah, we'll we'll leave it at that. Yeah. Anyway, I think we've we've been pretty clear about our political affiliations. So. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um, so what doth you be drinking tonight? I doth be drinking um, generic, but. Serviceable Blue Moon. Yeah, there's nothing. Yeah, of course. I have not had one of these in a while. A Blue Moon is a decent, like, when there's nothing with, nothing crafts to go with. Um, It's a good, good, uh, like, where I grew up in New York, it's mm -hmm. a good summer beer, too. Yeah, yeah. And it's got that orange flavor. Yeah. Yeah. It's not bad. What, What doth you be drinking tonight? I doth be drinking my local national beer. 
or my national local beer, whichever. I think you usually say national. National local, local beer. beer. Yeah, yes. There you go. Mm-hmm. I was confusing that time. I was in Green Bay. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we should probably just go ahead and get into the yeah, episode. We seem it. to be having nothing to say, <laughs> but we're taking forever saying it. All right. So. Um, <laughs> That's a one-star review in itself, right there. We, we, <laughs> see, we seem to have nothing to say, but we take forever saying it. Yes. <laughs> That's what I would write, frankly. Uh, but I'm not a dick who leaves one-star reviews for free media, so there you go. Um, oh, God. Uh, life is just really making me punchy right now, that's all. Well, this is uh, this is an episode which will require a little bit of punchiness, I believe. Yeah, so let me go ahead and do the... So you mm-hmm. just... You know what I know this what is. is. Obviously, yep. our, our listeners, as I'm pointing the computer, all our listeners in the computer, um, all of them. <laughs> know all of them, know what this is as well. Um, so let me just go ahead and do like the intro, and then I'll talk a little bit more in depth about why I'm picking this disaster, because sure. it's a little bit... This is a different disaster for us. So this is the story of Clint Malarchuk. Um, I think I'm going to title this episode Surviving Survival. Sure. The story of Clint Malarchuk. So I'll get into that in a second. So on March 22nd, 1989, in a freak on ice accident, Buffalo Sabres goalie Clint Malarchuk's throat was cut, nearly killing him and leading to severe PTSD and depression. So this is a really different story for us. Um, the idea, so the reason that this this topic came to my mind was a couple weeks ago, it may have been a few at this point, um, but recently anyway, NHL hockey player uh, Jay Baumeister, is that how it's? Baumeister. Um, of the St. Louis Blues suffered what they called a cardiac episode, mm-hmm. so some sort of whether it was an irregular heartbeat or an attack or whatever. Yeah, nobody really still knows exactly what happened. Well, you can kind of understand yeah. that this is somebody's personal health information. Something something bad happened. That's, yes. that's what we do know. Um, he was 36. Mm-hmm. Or is yeah, 36. He, he's been in the he's, a long he, time. he's alive, just to be clear. Yes. He, he didn't die or anything. Um, but he was just sitting on the bench at a game against the Anaheim Ducks during the first period when he literally like slumped over. And they had to get him medical attention. They canceled the game. Mm-hmm. They just they postponed the sorry, game. Sorry, you're right. They postponed the game because they did um, uh, replay. Did they replay the whole I game? I don't think it's happened yet. I think they're going to replay each other the next time they play each other. They're going to replay like the gotcha. end because there was like eight minutes left in the game. Is that all they do like is that. play like the ending period? I think period? that's oh, what wow, they're going to do. Oh, wow, that's interesting. Okay. So, but that it's, just, It was just a crazy situation. Yeah, just a really odd Freaking but it happened sort of uh, four or five years ago. Uh, Richie Peverly, who played for the Bruins, um, I think he might have been playing for the Bruins at the time when this happened. He had a literal heart attack on the bench oh, wow. during a game. Wow! And they just canceled the game. Yeah, yeah. So I think I would hope that fans would understand and be cool with that, and not want to then watch a hockey game when somebody's like. Literally dying, potentially dying of a heart. Did he actually die? No, no. Okay. He's, he's but but ha- it was it having was a, a life-threatening event mm-hmm. happen to them. Yeah. So initially, my thought was to do some sort of like compilation of horrible sports injuries. 
Yeah, that's right. We talked about yeah, that. Yeah, like maybe Joe Theismann. And, oh, yeah, that's, that's, oh, a, that's, that's a, a brutal that's a horrific one. one. Um, and then uh, Clint Malarchuk. But the more I thought of it, the more I thought there was a really good story to be told um, with Clint's story. Um, and I mainly... Also, I wanted to tell it because this story like was highly impactful to me when we first watched that 30 for 30 short, which I'll mention in a second. Um but we talk on our show a lot about mass casualties and then our so-called miracle sodes, which we have made clear that we don't think personally that there's any sort of like logic to who survives and who doesn't. Sometimes bad things happen and people live and something sometimes bad things happen and people die. Um, so what I thought was really important, and we've touched on it here and there with survivors of some of our incidents, some of our tragedies, but I want, I thought it was important to address the trauma that can actually stem from surviving. So obviously in basically every disaster we've ever covered, there's the trauma of the people, sir, like the family members and friends of anyone who dies in a disaster. But we've kind of only touched on aspects of people who themselves survive some disaster. And in this case, this is like a one-person tragedy, right? This wasn't a mass casualty event. And I thought this was important because uh, we have a great group of listeners and a lot of people are willing to share their stories and um, details about their personal lives with us. And we have a number of listeners who have themselves survived um, some terrible physical trauma, trauma, right? Physical trauma, emotional trauma, mental trauma, sometimes all of the above, right? They they often come hand in hand. And I think it's incredibly important to recognize that surviving and living through some horrible tragedy, whatever it is, um, any horrific experience can be life, well, is life altering and can be massively difficult to survive itself. Mm -hmm. Like physical survival is only step one. You know, of like a lifetime of surviving. Well, it's it's generally the mental survivor that survivalism that is the hardest part. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. it really is. Like your body can go through a lot, mm-hmm. but your mind it it really just depends on who you are. Absolutely. I mean, ultimately, I mean, your mind can do all sorts of things and to situations you. and all sorts of yes, yes, I absolutely agree. So. Um, in some cases, surviving is not tenable in the long run for some people. And a lot of people who have survived horrible trauma then go on to not survive after it. Um, so I just, we say trigger warning for everything. I want to give a huge, huge trigger warning up front for depression and suicide and some pretty graphic descriptions of physical injury Mm -hmm. so this is gonna be not not pleasant on all of those fronts i also want to say if and and i mean this seriously this episode is not worth listening to if you think that it's you may not be okay hearing about some stuff about suicide and depression so if that is the case we've got lots of fun stuff ahead (laughs) 
in future episodes. You just skip this one. Or in past ones. Yeah, exactly. Go listen to Disco Demolition. Go listen to Action Park. Yes, exactly. Please. <laughs> yes. Listen to our fun ones, right? Yeah. You don't need this. It's okay. It's okay to... It, we still love you. It's okay to not listen. All right. So sources for this episode included um, Cutthroat, which is the name of an... <laughs> Uh, like a podcast name. No, no, no. This is that's the name of the ESPN Thirty for Thirty show. Oh, is it? Yep. Oh, okay. Directed by Stephen Cantor, which so we which we watched. We did watch it. Yeah. So it was called Cutthroat. Um, I know. Talk about on the nose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A matter of inches. How I survived in the crease and beyond by Clint Malarchuk with Dan Robson, which we'll talk about near the end. Hockey Legends of Grand Prairie. <laughs> Actually, I got a ton of information from that website. It was nice. hugely helpful. Good. Bleacher Report, sure. uh, Wikipedia, CBC, ESPN, the Chicago Tribune, and the Players Tribune. Okay. So, um, so another I'll, unusual... All good uh, hockey references. Yeah. Good, good hockey sources. Yeah. Rather. Especially Hockey Legends of Grand Prairie. Yeah. <laughs> so another unusual aspect to our story today is that it's about one individual. Which we kind of did with the epic descent of Vesna Volovich, but but it was in a different it was spirit. In different context. It was uh, she was the sole survivor. Right. Of a it was a it was a miracle incident. zone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So we're not really going to have a history corner, or ge- a little geography corner, but not much. So we are going to introduce the new biography corner. How about oh, that? Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. So Clint Malarchuk was born on May first, nineteen sixty-one, in Grand pa- Grand Prairie. Alberta, Canada. So not the Dakota one. <laughs> um, so just a tiny bit of a geography corner here. Grand Prairie is r- remote. <laughs> yeah. Specifically, do you remember when we talked about the Humboldt bon- Broncos Oh, yeah. They, they were in the fucking middle of nowhere. And about how Edmonton is sometimes called Deadmonton, not yeah. just because of the, for Canada, relatively high homicide rate, because, but because it's kind of the end it's, of civilization in Alberta. It is like the last... It's last last stop. Yeah, next no, stop nowhere. Next stop nowhere. <laughs> I want to get. I want to get off at Edmonton. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, so from Edmonton, if you headed northwest, like two hundred eighty-three miles or four hundred fifty-six kilometers, then you get to Grand Prairie, yeah, and I've got a beautiful picture of Grand Prairie. Are you ready for this? This is Grand Prairie. <laughs> yeah, that, that's exactly. It yeah. is just snow. And a lot of open fields and then some buildings. It's what I'm, it's like when I tell people sometimes, you know, that I grew up north of Syracuse. Like, I can see in their mind, like, they're like, what's north of Nothing's Syracuse? North Canada. <laughs> <laughs> and Messina. Yeah. Messina is like, north like of Syracuse. Like, their brain can't compute that for, like, a, for like two seconds. And they're oh, like, upstate, oh, like yeah. Albany? <laughs> like, at the end of the earth? Like, yes, at the end of the earth. Yeah. If you cross the river, it's Canada. Literally. Hey. Yeah. You're closer to Montreal than you are to Rochester, right? At that point. Oh, way closer. Yeah. Way closer. So, yeah. And that's how far. So that is that is our lovely Grand Prairie, uh, Alberta, Canada. Mm-hmm. Gorgeous country. It's literally, it, it, it <laughs> kind of reminds me of when we were flying into Vegas. Remember, it was just... Oh, yeah. Desert until Vegas. Valleys and canyons mm-hmm. and, and mountains and just nothingness. No civilization. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you just see civilization (laughs) so that's where our friend clint was born um and clint has always been proud of his roots and has stated that when he dies he wants to be cremated and have his ashes scattered in grand prairie sure which that's nice you know Mm -hmm. to have some loyalty to your 
hometown. So as with most kids in Canada, and yes, I'm stereotyping here, Clint was up on skates when he was barely old enough to walk. When, when he was born. Yes, at age three. <laughs> yeah, that's, yep. that's really when it starts. His, I have the hiccups, sorry. It's okay. His family put him on the ice in bob skates. Do you know what those are? I don't know. So I had to look it up. They're apparently like over-the-shoe double-bladed skates to help kids on the Okay, skate. I kind of see what they're getting at. Yeah. Help them keep their balance yep, easier. And so that's why they... <laughs> have two blades this is gonna be so fun me talking through my hiccups um and i mean most three-year-olds fall down on the reg on ground (laughs) let alone ice so that's i don't know i find the core the coordination of the canadians is very impressive well it's like i've always said like i started playing hockey when i was six Mm -hmm. and i was two years behind everybody (laughs) (laughs) and i'm not joking you were I'm behind the kidding. curve. Yes. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh, my goodness. I grew up in Miami. I don't know what that is all about. Um, his big sister, Terry, helped him learn how to skate. And again, like most Canadians, skating was in his blood. So his maternal grandfather, Leonard Henning, was a competitive speed skater. Okay. And Leonard's son, so Clint's maternal uncle, Max Henning, was a longtime Grand Prairie hockey legend. Uh, Max. So it's, it's just, it's in the, it's in the family. It's in the DNA. It's in the DNA. Max had been a bomber pilot in world war two who helped organize a hockey club to help returning veterans be able to play hockey when they returned from the war. Isn't that cool? That's awesome. That's amazing. Yeah. Max is. Take your mind off of shit for a little while. Let's go have some fun. And, and have somewhere to play after coming back after the war. Right. So Max's son, so this is Clint's cousin, Cam Henning, also went on to become a local hockey player with Grand Prairie Athletics. Uh, so Clint's maternal side was obviously just steeped in hockey. His dad's side also wasn't familiar, unfamiliar with the sport. Clint's dad, Mike Malarchuk, was a well-respected local goalie. So goalie goaltending was in his blood too, who played in the South Peace Wheat Belt Hockey League. So, <laughs> oh yeah, that one. Oh that one. And I've got my some, favorite. I've got some awesome old school picks of Mike Malarchuk. So ignore the I one can't. on the bottom for a second. Okay. This is old time oh, goalie. He's not even wearing a mask. No mask. No mask. And like leather catcher's mitts and pads. And his pads probably weigh like seventy pounds. Right. Oh my god. Yeah. So so even goaltending was in his blood, obviously, there, right? Um, Clint's big brother, Garth, also fostered his interest in the sport. Garth Malarchuk. Garth Malarchuk. That is the a the most Canadian name ever. That is a Avengers villain just <laughs> waiting to happen. Garth <laughs> Malarchuk. That's funny. Yes, yes. Um, Garth Malarchuk. <laughs> So his big sister, Terry, as I had said, was also really important to him. And Clint's mother, Jean, rounded out his tight family unit. So the Malarchuk family moved from Grand Prairie to Edmonton when Clint was six. Yeah, they moved south. Yeah, they moved to the deep <laughs> south, right? Comparatively. Let's move where it's warmer. Let's move south to Edmonton. <laughs> to Edmonton. Let's move south to Edmonton. That's a, that's a, that's a statement. Um... Uh, so Clint was six, and Clint was moving his way up through the 
very I say the various oddly named levels of youth hockey. So like I can, I can name them all. Yes. Go yeah. ahead, go name for name them all. Well, you start off in mites, and that is when you are like um like four to six. Mm. Um, no wait. Do no, it's right? not mites because no, no, no. this no, no, no. is Clint the mite. Okay. And he's I, older than that. I, what did I start out in? Pee-wee I know is like I, one of the later ones. No, Pee-wee is when you first start hitting. Okay. I believe I started out in Mites. Okay, I think Mites was like maybe six to seven, eight years old, somewhere okay. in there. Then you were a squirt, which is like uh, nine, eight, ten. nine, ten, eleven. Okay. Um, and then is Pee-wee when you're like 11, 12, 13, sometimes 14. Then like the ba- Mighty Ducks kids were Pee-wees. Yes, yes, they were. And that's that. when and that's when you first start hitting. Okay. They did uh, that, hit that's the when, ducks, yeah. Yes, that's when uh, body checking becomes legal. And that's what also... And all you want to do is hit people. <laughs> or try not to or, die. Yeah. <laughs> Fair <laughs> which, enough. Which was my, which was my strategy. The <laughs> that's first, a good strategy. The first year, but it didn't work out very well. Oh. I got my ass kicked very oh. badly. Well, when I... The, the first year I started with body checking hockey, mm-hmm. I was 12. You were a slow bloomer. I was... Five feet tall and maybe eighty-five pounds. Aww, bebe. <laughs> oh, the bebe. I literally just—I'm not even joking. I literally just got my ass kicked Aww. every single game, and it was just like. Do you feel it built character? Uh, I, I don't. I mean, I guess. <laughs> no, well, really. no, I guess. I mean, but at the time, you're just thinking like, "Can I please fucking grow now?" Aww, yeah, that's hard. <laughs> that's really hard. That's really difficult. <laughs> playing against there was one guy we played against and i'm not even joking this this kid at 13 or 14 had a full beard that's and, and i'm not i'm not <laughs> saying like a faux beard like, like shaved down fuzz. no i'm talking like a full beard <laughs> that's scary <laughs> jason could back me up on that oh i'm sure he, he played against I'm the sure. same guy well renee said that they have sort of renamed what some of the the system is different now because yeah. now it goes by your birth year so they, oh. they try to keep kids together by their birth year. Okay. Whereas, as opposed to like their As opposed grade? to like a, ju- no, like like how I was growing up, it was a jumbled age. Mm. Like, you know, 8 to 10. You I know, gotcha. 10 to 12. So now 13. it's like those born 2005 or 2006 I or something. Yes, I might be getting that wrong, but okay. I think that's how they try to do it nowadays. she said there was something called like Y15 or something. It's kids under it's, 15. Yeah. And, yeah, there's a whole... It's different. Yeah. The well, system is... Di- the youth hockey system is different Yes. Now. At any rate, this is Clint when he was a mite. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever age that is, that's Clint the mite. So he's probably like eight years old there. Yeah, and he's already goaltending. Mm-hmm. So he was like in the in the crease. The, the funniest thing is that thing literally looks like a cage. It kind of does. <laughs> it's shaped like a B too, is. which is odd. It has the M on top. That's how oh, they used. Oh, okay. And and on the bottom, you can't see it from that. Was picture. that old school? Or That's something? how they used to be designed. Huh. Yeah. That's interesting. Now now it's a it's a complete it's a rectangle on top. Yes. Yes. For for all you <laughs> structural hockey fans out there, so he yes he became a goalie at a really young age and that's what he stuck with, and as he grew up, um, so the Malarchik family remember I said he was close to his siblings and his mom, but the family started going through some rough times because of Mike Mike Malarchik. So after they moved to Edmonton, Mike began struggling with alcohol addiction. And he eventually became so estranged from his family that Clint briefly chose as a child, and this is pretty hardcore, to change his last name 
on his hockey rosters to Henning to express the distance he felt from his father. So wow. like I'm like I don't even want to use done. my dad's name right now. Yeah. As a child. Uh, yeah, he was like a, a pre preteen mm-hmm. adolescent, yeah. Um, and I mean, that was actually understandable because my, uh, Mike's addiction led to poverty and all its consequences for Clint and his mom and his siblings. So Clint's brother and sister stepped up in a big way to provide even additional good big sibling sort of uh, role models to their little brother. But they were significantly older than him. So his brother was eight years older than him and his sister seven years older than him. So they grew up and moved out. I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty big difference. Yeah, you. I, I have a sister that's eight years older right. than me, and there's there's some we didn't we didn't really start having adult or, conversations yeah. until like just a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah, it's a big difference. So this is um, Clint. Oh. <laughs> you 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 always just show me, and then you're like, hold oh, it. Well, I'm handing it to you, and you don't I think take I, it. I think you're just showing it. No, to No, I'm me. handing it to you. So this is cl- little Clint, um, Terry, and Garth. And they're little cute 60s clothes. Mm-hmm. Future Marvel villain. <laughs> Garth Malarchuk. Yes. <laughs> um, so after his siblings moved out, uh, Clint was left with his mom, and he and his mom became really close. Clint threw himself into the family passion of hockey, and he dis- also describes himself as having obsessive compulsive disorder, even from a young age, and that That is something he credits with giving him a really good work ethic and to drive him to practice the same drills again and again and again and again until he perfected them. He and his mom made the expensive uh, proposition of youth hockey work despite their difficult circumstances. You can speak to that. You've always said that, like, hockey is not a cheap sport. It's not cheap at all. And especially for a goalie, Mm -hmm. it's even that much more expensive. Because of all the equipment. Go- goalie equipment is not fucking cheap. And for a growing child, they're outgrowing that shit Every all year. the time. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're thinking of starting your kids in hockey. Just know. Go to, no, go to a, it's, no, it's going to cost some money. Mm-hmm. But also equipment doesn't necessarily have to go to a used equipment Oh, absolutely. Place because your kids are going to grow out of it literally every don't, single year. Don't buy top of the line There's no point stuff. in buying anything yeah. brand new. It's like buying, like brand new cutesy clothing for your kid when they're going to grow out. Yeah, of when it, they're like, 6 months month. old. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, you're six, oh, you're now you're you're old, you don't fit into this. <laughs> yeah. Um, so apparently at one point Gene even sold some of their house furniture so that wow. Clint could participate. And she also made this is the cutest story. She made him custom goalie masks. She did this That's for Garth cool. too. Sure. She did this for Garth too cuz he was a goalie. She would cover their faces and faces in Vaseline, mm-hmm. and then put plaster of Paris on them, oh God. and then have them and breathe get an their straws. Outline of their fucking <laughs> yes. face. That's funny. That's yes. awesome, though. <laughs> that's a hockey mom, <laughs> yes, huh? It is. Like that's a dedicated hockey mom. <laughs> Let me make you a goalie mask. Here, put this on your face. <laughs> put this Vaseline and hold these straws in your mouth. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, I want to make sure you can breathe. <laughs> it's like Michael Scott when he put his face in the wet cement, and they <laughs> yeah. had the yeah. So fortunately for Clint and his mom, some key pe- people came into Clint's life. One was, see if you recognize this name, Ken Hitch Hitchcock. Uh, well, there is a Ken Hitchcock that coaches today, so maybe that's his dad. 
Yes, he he actually only no this that's him because he just stepped down from the Edmonton Oilers last season. The, okay, okay, so it is the same just guy. Just ended. Okay, yep. well, ended actually, well, this career. is like thirty. So okay, yeah, it is the same guy then. Okay, he yeah. he's won a he won a Stanley Cup with the Dallas Stars. I believe. Okay, all right. See, I didn't bother to go too far into the hockey stuff because I knew you'd be able to fill in the blanks. Yeah, so. I'm pretty sure when Dallas won their Stanley Cup, he was the head coach. Okay, Hitch. Ken Hitchcock. Ken Hitchcock. Yeah. Who, who vacillates between being very fat and very thin. <laughs> well, he, do, that, he does. That's a lot of us, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean like extremes. Oh. He's only 10 years older than Clint, so he kind of became like a big brother mentor sure. role in Clint's life. Also, Clint had the opportunity to attend the Bobby Orr hockey camp. That's Sounds pretty good. Well, so who is Bobby Orr? I keep oh thinking of Michael Orr. No, no. He's the football guy. Don't think of Michael Orr. I don't even know who Michael Orr is. But Bobby Orr is... He was the blind side guy. Oh, okay. Yeah, I you're think. right. He was Michael Orr. He was. You're, okay. you're correct. That's, so a great, that's a great story. Okay, who's Bobby Orr? But that's Orr? not Bobby Orr. Okay, who's Bobby, Bobby Orr? Bobby Orr is spelled O-R-R. Well, My, so is Michael Orr. No, Michael Orr is spelled O-H-E-R. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Okay, so who's Bobby Orr? Bobby Orr, uh, I'm pretty sure, is probably the greatest defenseman that's ever played the game. What? Years ago, He played in, yes, he played in, uh, started in the late 60s, early 70s, all the way through the 70s. Okay. So this was probably around the time he was going to that camp. Yeah. Because Clinton would have been, like, adolescent, something like that. Yeah. Uh, Number four, Bobby Orr. Oh, is how that's it, cute. That's his, Who know, did he play for? The Boston Bruins. And I, his last two seasons, I think, were with Chicago. Okay. See, this is why I didn't bother to look this up. Oh, I was okay. like, yeah. just... I, I I'll, I'll even say... In. At one point, I say, insert David's comments. The, uh, <laughs> the modern example... Unfortunately, this guy cannot stay healthy lately. But the modern example of Bobby Orr would be Eric Carlson, who plays for the San Jose Sharks. And who also wrote a great book called The Hungry Caterpillar. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, he? it's not. Same name, yeah, but same not the name. same person. Yes, no. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say I'm like, did he? I think it was Eric. His name was Eric Carlson. Do you remember that book, The Hungry Caterpillar? No, I didn't. Oh, check that one it's out. It's a great one. <laughs> it's like a little kids book. It's super cute. Anyway, um, you didn't get that at the Scholastic Book Fair. I guess not. Did you have Scholastic? Uh, yes, we okay. did. Yeah, right, good. Um, so at the Bobby Orr training camp. They got a lot kids. of my uh, Garfield books from there. <laughs> yeah, you, that you still have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. They're in a box somewhere. Down in the crawl space, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so at camp, he was known as the homesick kid because he had trouble adjusting from being away from home. Um, but Bill Waters, is that name ringing a bell? Mm. So he was a then a sports media personality and later the assistant GM of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Okay. I'm surprised you don't know all the management. (laughs) (laughs) And his wife, who were present at the camp, took Clint under their wing. So he had some people really step up in a key way. And I think that very similar to the Humboldt uh, Broncos bus crash, like that's sort of the hockey community. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the hockey community is pretty tight. It's pretty deep. And people are willing to step up for each other, which is really sweet. I think that's amazing. Clint also developed a love of horses as an adolescent Mm -hmm. when he visited a ranch owned by family friend Lloyd Finch, whose family also treated him as a family member. So he had some... I think... Well, I don't Mm want to step on your toes, The cowboy goalie? Well, I think he Mm -hmm. is a rancher now, isn't he? We'll get to that. Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So Clint was one of the lucky ones who graduated from junior hockey to playing in the Western Hockey League, mm-hmm. finally to graduate to the NHL. So there, there are three different levels of junior hockey. There's junior B, there's junior A, and there's junior pro. So is when the he, Western the junior pro? Yes, it is. Okay. The Western Hockey League is one of three junior pro leagues, uh, the two others being uh, the OHL, which is the Ontario Hockey League, uh-huh. and the other being the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. <laughs> Okay. But those are all... So when you make Junior Pro, mm-hmm. that's... You've got a pretty good shot of getting to the NHL. You've got like a runway. You're going to play professionally somewhere, period. Right. It's but, just a matter of where. It, right. But... How high you can go. Exactly. Okay. Your odds of making the NHL are that much greater. Okay. So he was drafted into the NHL in 1981, so he'd have been like 19 or 20. When is the NHL draft? Year wide, like now it's year. uh like in the uh like at the end of June. But back in eighty one, do you think it would have been it the probably same? Probably would have been about the same time. Okay, so he's yeah. probably just about twenty. Yeah. So he was the seventy fourth overall pick by, and this is where I'm going to say insert David's encyclopedic encyclopedic knowledge, hockey knowledge. I say okay. he was picked by the Quebec Nordiques. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that that was a team ever. Really. No. Oh, okay. What they went defunct like in '95. They didn't go defunct. They moved. Where they moved? They are the Colorado Avalanche. Okay. Yeah. Which you you've seen? We watched the game last week when they were playing. I know who the Avalanche yeah. are. I don't that's, know who that's the who the Quip, fucking Qu- Quebec Nordiques are. That's who they became. Just like the Carolina Hurricanes used to be the Hartford Whalers. I know that. I obviously know that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, but it's the same thing. It's just okay. m- moving to a different city. Okay. Well, anyway, that's where he started. Um, he bopped between the Nordiques and the Fredericton Express, which was an AHL team. Mm-hmm. So that's like... Um, that's minors. Minors. Okay. Yep. Yep. For the first six years of his career. Not, uh, so not uncommon. Okay. And then in the 87 to 88 and 88 to 89 seasons, he was a goalie for the Washington Capitals. Mm-hmm. And he made it to the all-star team in 87, where he led the league in shutouts. Oh, okay. Yeah. Finally, in the 88 to 89 season, he landed with the Buffalo Sabres. And I wrote in, hi, Aubrey. <laughs> <laughs> She's a Sabres fan. So, And they're going to come up a bit in this, this story. So, um, all right. Well, wasn't that lovely? I mean, it's... it's, uh, it's hockey kid. Total hockey kid. In it's his a, blood. It's a typical hockey canadian boy hockey story Such like, a it, like it really is local boy makes good yeah canadian has and, it has it in the lineage you know it's and to this day if you hear him talk he's got the canadian accent to prove that he grew up uh, oh, oh in, yeah like, in uh who knows where um alberta can you put that on the schedule a schedule oh yeah <laughs> All right, so now we're going to get to the incident, the injury. Yeah. Um, that really changed. It's pretty fucking brutal. It, it's awful. Um, so a lot of this story I got from Clint's own firsthand account in Cutthroat, the 30 for 30 short. You can watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, I So I couldn't get the ESPN app to work, so I found it on Vimeo. Like, you can watch it for free you, on You can Vimeo. see it on YouTube oh, as okay. well. All yeah. right, good deal. Um, and I cannot recommend it enough. It's only like... 10 like minutes 50, long. It's, oh, okay. It's I was going to say, I was yeah, thinking like 15 minutes. minutes maybe, something something like, that. like that. It's yeah. a sh- it's a short film. Yeah. And Clint has a really like straightforward, matter-of-fact way of telling his story, but it's also really clear really quickly. It's fucking gruesome. How horrifying it was to him. 
He struggles in several points to keep going on. Um, He chokes up a bit, completely understandably. And if you can make it through this short without tearing up a little, you're a sociopath, just so you know. (laughs) Might want to get that checked out because, like, holy shit. It's compelling, to say the least, to to hear it in his own words. So on March 22nd, 1989... Clint was 28 years old, and he was playing for the Sabres as goalie against the St. Louis Blues in a late-season game, right? that That's pretty March 22nd season. is pretty much about the last week in the regular season. Yeah, because it ends like Especially at that ball, time. Right? Yeah. yeah. So at one point in the first period, Clint was... I, I wrote, Clint was on his knees in that way that goalies do, <laughs> with a sort of lower leg split. <laughs> It's called a butterfly. Okay. Clint had a, he had a butterfly. He was doing a butterfly. The, te- the, terminology? the technique is called the, the butterfly. So would you say he was doing the butterfly? Or what would you He was say? in the butterfly position. He was in the butterfly position. So for those of us who don't know the fancy terminology of hockey, like he was on his knees, but then his feet were splayed out to either yes. side. And so, and, and, to, so were her, and so were his arms. Hers arms? Hers arms. His arms. Hers arms. <laughs> But that's that's what the gotcha. Oh, I get it. So it so looks like a butterfly wing. Yeah. Exactly. Uh huh. And it's to keep the puck from sliding through on the ice, and also to protect the goal a little higher up, right? It's to have a better vantage point to stop in the puck. Okay. So that was the position um, he was in and in and <laughs> in at the time. <laughs> Hers. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's laugh now because know, it's gonna get so bad. That's, so, I think that's why we're doing it. We're not. We're, yes, we're this not, is nervous laughter. We're not being disrespectful. No. So one of the Sabres defensemen, Uwe Krupp. Uwe Krupp. Yes. Uwe Krupp. Yep. Okay. Had a long playing career. Uwe Krupp. Okay. So he was trying to hold off St. Louis Blues player Steve Tuttle, who was being passed the puck, and as the two players were sort of like barreling towards the goal and Clint. And I mean, it's it's super common for just huge wipeouts to happen, right? And the the goal the um, net get kicked off its little magnet mm-hmm. thingies and all that. Is there a the technical term? <laughs> Is there a technical term for the little magnet thingies? There are magnets under the ice on the pipes of the of the goal. Right, the goal post on each side. The the magnet goes into the the pipes of the cross okay. to try to hold it onto the ice. Right. But it can't but, be... But if you hit it hard enough, it'll, right. it'll become dislodged. And that's important because otherwise you could really cream yourself and, and injure yourself. And if anybody has ever come in contact with how heavy a goal oh. net is, imagine how much force you would it would take to take it off of its pegs. You know, I always called. figured it'd be pretty lightweight, but it's no, not. It's no, it's heavy okay. as shit. Okay, I didn't know that. I yeah. didn't know that. It doesn't okay. feel good to be rammed right into a fucking goal net. I could, I could say I'm that sure. firsthand. All right. So, there was a sort of sliding collision is sort of the best way I can it's describe so it. It's so odd. It's almost undescribable. It happens so fucking yes. quick, too. So, basically, both of the players... The, the one so guy Krupp gets The one tunnel. guy gets airborne. For like a slight okay. second, and his skate comes up. Well, hold on. I'm oh, sorry. Oh, so my I bad. Told the story. Sorry. So, so yeah. So in this sort of collision, one of Tuttle's skates sort of flipped up at an odd angle, and Clint said his natural instinct was to try to move away, which makes sense. And in doing so, he lifted his chin. Sure. And exposed his throat. 
Um, I mean, and this is all like you watch this. This happens in less than it, a second. It, it happens in so like in like fast in like a hundredth of a second. Like you can't even slow it down enough no. to see it happen. Basically. So which, in, which is why everybody's so freaked out because they can't. It happens so fast. Yes, nobody re, like there was no time to react to any. No. It was it's ridiculously fast. So, um, so in lifting his chin, he exposed his neck, and Tuttle's skate just slid across his neck. So he essentially his throat was slit. Um, the video of this collision and its aftermath very easy to find available on YouTube. Major trigger warning. It there's blood everywhere. This it's, is graphic as fuck. I'm not sure if I've seen a bloodier incident in like a horror movie, and I'm not even joking. Oh, and, and this like, is and this is something not, that's like reasonably could happen, right? Yeah. And this is yeah. a real life thing that yeah. happened to somebody. Absolutely, it's, it's fucking disturbing. It is really disturbing. So so go watch it. <laughs> so this is where we're gonna actually start like describing things. So. Immediately, Clint rolled onto his belly, grabbed at his throat, and removed his mask right away. And blood was pouring onto the ice. I mean, you watch it. And Literally. It's pouring from his throat That's onto not, the ice. Yeah. No. And the, the, I think That's, one of the things that makes it most horrifying is that the ice is white. And there's just this blood. It's red. like blood on snow, right? Yeah. It's just It just stands out. It's really horrific. Even the sports casters are like are freaking out. Freaking, you're absolutely right. They begged, and they have no idea what happened. No, but you know the first thing one of them said: "Please take put the camera, the camera off. Camera off. Yeah, because they're just like, don't show this. This is. Just, of course they did, but you know, at least there was there. That was. I thought that was nice at their first." instinct was please let's preserve some dignity let's yeah, like don't show this kids watching this or whatever but it happens but it happened so fast it's not like anybody was intentionally doing anything no, it no, was no. just a freak fucking accident probably people didn't even realize what was going on and even the cameraman while. probably was just like, like what, what? The i'm fuck? just following that wait what is that yeah. yeah there was apparently reports that some people passed out or vomited inside the stadium too which i that don't wouldn't, i don't doubt that it wouldn't surprise me yeah i mean this watching well you literally plus, just watched somebody almost die get their throat slit in, and, in one of the most heinous ways possible absolutely and some people have like a fear of blood like seeing blood uh, sure. too so yeah. i get that yeah, it's, um it's, it is they jeez it's horrific yeah i know right My no God. we're talking about raindrops on roses um so one of the commentators said and you can hear the emotion in their voices one of the commentators said quote oh my god what happened end quote and blood was pumping out of clint's body Squirting. yes Literally. onto the ice and yeah it was horrific do you want to see a picture you don't have to i i mean i've seen it so I'm okay fine. this is a still yeah uh yep i've yep you can put it upside down if you want. And the the look in his face is what? Well, ugh. well, let's get to God. this. Clint knew right away how bad his situation was. He said, "Quote: My first thought was to get off the ice because my mom was watching TV up in Canada. I didn't want her to go through that to see her son die on the ice." End <laughs> quote. And I, I literally wrote, please hold on while my heart breaks. No shit. Like, can you just imagine? He said, he was like, 
My mom had a big satellite dish so she could watch my games. And he's and also not thinking, I need to get off the ice because I'm injured. He's thinking, I need to get off the ice because I might die. And I don't that, want my mom to have to see her that, son die That's on a television. fucking, that, trust me, that's a huge. There's a difference. Mental. Absolutely. He wasn't like, this is okay, I can survive this. He was like, this is it, this and is, I just yeah, have to. I'm done. Damn. Jesus. So, um, I know we've talked, we've talked about this incident multiple times. Um, so there was no reference in the, um, documentary or in any sources I found about like getting the team doctor from the other side that comes up later. So we're going to talk about that. This is what actually happened according to what I could find. So referee Terry Gregson saw immediately what happened. I mean, like the second the blood started showing it's up, it's like, shit, no, fuck this, like help. And he actually like started screaming to the bench for help, like get the fuck over here. So Sabres trainer Jim Pizzatelli reached Clinton, Clint, sorry, Clinton, Clint in no time flat. And it wasn't actually from another player taking him there. But at any rate. Okay. Um, but he, I mean, honestly, he got there like that. It was very quick. There was a good, quick response. And fortunately for Clint, Jim Putzteli wasn't just any trainer. He was a former combat engineer and Vietnam War veteran who had actually seen much worse than what he was seeing here. Yeah, he was like, this is no problem. Mm-hmm. He's like, <laughs> He's no, like, I know exactly what to do. Couldn't have been a better person to help him out. He's like, we're in a stadium that people paid to come to. He was like, I've dealt with worse shit in a fucking jungle where right? nobody wants to be. Mm-hmm. So he pushed Gauze into Clint's wound and calmly told him he would save him and to just do as he said. So he, and by Clint's accounts, and it makes sense, he was pushing so hard putting on the pressure wound, on it. putting yeah. so much pressure that he would ask him, like, okay, do, to take a do you need to breathe? Mm-hmm. And if he said yes, he'd give him a second, let him breathe, blood would spurt out, and then he'd go right back to putting pressure on. So it was like Fucking trying crazy. to, can you imagine, he was trying to balance, how much do I let him breathe to survive if it means he's starting to bleed out? Yeah, apparently, like it's, a, just, apparently it's a second. Uh, God. <laughs> Take as much breath as you can in a second, because mm-hmm. I'm I'm gonna choke you again. I'm gonna, yep, I'm gonna start putting all the pressure in the world on your throat. Ugh. So surprisingly, he was able to get Clint standing and skated him off the ice, mm-hmm. which is amazing to me. They took him to the trainer's room, where Clint called over the Sabers equipment manager Rip Simonick, and he told him, "quote I think I'm dying." End quote. And Rip held his hand to comfort him. Clint would say later, quote, I'll never forget his hands. End quote. Clint asked Rip to call his mother and tell her that Clint loved her. And as the ambulance arrived, Rip told Clint, Clint quote, I talked to your mom. She says she loves you. End quote. I mean, Jesus. these are like fucking, you think you're saying you're dying words. I mean, can you just imagine your anything? Your fucking throat just got slit. And like, and I, I mean, I've seen that documentary. I've seen other things on this, and there are plenty of times I've seen. Well, if it, it if it had gone just an inch deeper, oh yeah, we'll like we'll get to that okay. too. So yeah, so Clint was rushed to Buffalo General Hospital, where doctors worked quickly to stop the bleeding, and they worked through the night. They performed surgery. 
that repaired his neck and his throat and the source of his bleeding which were his jugular vein and carotid <laughs> artery. Christ. Now, in the words of Doc of uh, Dr. Shrewd, Dwight Shrewd. <laughs> <laughs> I like Dr. Shrewd better. No, but in the words of Dwight Shrewd, I'm no doctor. <laughs> But I think just about everybody knows that the jugular veins and carotid arteries are pretty goddamn important to the human body. And any time a major, major artery and or vein are cut, it is a very bad thing. You can exsanguinate. It's very serious, yes. You can exsang- You can bleed out. Bleed out, You yeah. can lose so much blood volume that you just die and die. fast. And, and that's a major risk. And as it turned out, Clint lost about a third of his total blood volume that night. Yep. Christ. And if the cut to his throat had been even just a fraction, I read a quarter inch, uh, a fraction of an inch deeper, he could not have survived yeah, it. Yeah, it was over. Yeah. And the surgeries were successful, and Clint Malarchuk lived through this ridiculously terrifying injury. Clint's neck received about 300 stitches in that small area of a body. 300 stitches. And he was advised by doctors to remain in the hospital for a week. He chose to leave the hospital the next day. This is Clint with the bandage. Oh, my God. Yeah. That bandage is half of his neck on his right side, basically the whole right side of his neck. If you yeah. put if you put your like right palm, yeah, on the you right put your side whole hand your, and your that's, neck, that's, that's the about size the... of the bandage. Yeah, Jesus Christ. So on April second, nineteen eighty nine, eleven days after his injury, Clint was geared up and back on the ice for the Sabers, receiving a standing ovation and cheers from the fans in spite of doctors' recommendations that he not return for the remainder of the season. He said later, quote, I came back quick. I came back real quick, end quote. His return was, by his own admission, driven by a need to show he was the tough cowboy goalie he had gained a reputation for being. So. Sure. I mean. Uh, perception is part of the game, right? So, for an athlete, freaking mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So, over the next few seasons of playing hockey, because he continued to play in the NHL, uh, Clint's obsessive compulsive disorder raged back into his life, along with a devastating depression. He started becoming agoraphobic. Started having a hard time leaving his house. Basically, oh, like, he was okay. kind of scared okay. to leave his house. But he suffered in silence, not leading on to anyone what was going on internally, though he did exhibit outbursts and fits of anger, though. <laughs> he did on the ice. Like, yeah. That, that's, mm-hmm. that, that's, they show that in the They do, in, in the, the short, documentary. Yep. In the short film, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, though I put this in here, like, you've said that goalies are special people. <laughs> they are. They're different breed They're a little different. bit, yep. And it takes a certain kind of crazy to be one a well, little bit. Well, just imagine... Having the mindset where I want to get very hard objects that are basically a puck is about the same friction as a brick. Mm. So imagine little having, bricks thrown at you. Imagine having a mindset where I want to get those thrown at me daily, fifty times a day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, goalies are have. Have always been and always will be a little bit off. A little off, yeah. So you can you can understand how maybe 
I mean, for one thing, we're talking the late 80s, early 90s, so it's not like people are brilliant about mental health, but also um, they might have just been, <laughs> goalies be crazy, you know, with well, his I mean, behavior. That's, that's probably what it was. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I always remember growing up playing like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> to like every goalie? Yes. Oh, that's funny. That's like funny. I never said that to anybody, even in my mind, I was like, I was like, why would you want to do that job? That's funny. <laughs> like, that makes no sense. So his hockey performance also declined, and he left the NHL after the 91-92 season, joining the Rochester Americans. Really? We've seen play for no one kidding. season. He was only there one season. Okay. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, followed by the San Diego Gulls, and finally, which still exists. Yeah, uh, they're AHL, right? Or mm-hmm. they IHL? Yep. AHL. AHL. And finally, ending his playing career in 1997 with the Las Vegas Thunder in the International Hockey League. Okay. He went on to be a coach and assistant GM with a couple of different clubs, and then the goaltending coach for the Florida Panthers in the 0203 season. A few years later, he took the same position with the Columbus Blue Jackets. As for his personal life during this period, I couldn't find, like, specifics on who he was married to and when. I do know that he had a couple of different wives at various points. Um, And a few kids, apparently. Like, three kids. So, um, but I'm sure, like, like, that's the interesting thing, like, in the documentary and everything. None of them were mentioned. So, my guess, and I couldn't find any other allusion to them. So... My guess is things didn't go so well for staying and, in touch and, with his kids and his and former let's just, wives. Let's just move on with that. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Um, and obviously it would not, given his immense emotional and mental struggles, it would not be at all surprising that his relationship, personal relationship suffered as well. Um, he married Joan Goodley in 2006, and a couple of years later, in 2008, he was still struggling with OCD and depression, so he decided to find solace in his passion for horses, and he retreated to a ranch in Fish Springs, Nevada, near Lake Tahoe. So that's kind of where, like, um, sure. Nevada and California meet in the little Northern California, crease. yeah. Uh, no, well, no? like, you know where um, Nevada does its little... I'm yeah. doing a, a yeah, thing I, I, over here. Okay. The little angle, <laughs> the little right angle over to mean. the west. Yeah. But Lake Tahoe is, is northern California. Mm-hmm. I thought it's it was. in that little crease. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. I only know that because I just looked at the map today. <laughs> so, uh, oh, also um, in 2000, he became a certified uh, vet tech. So, really? Yeah. No he worked okay. on uh, horses' teeth. So anyway, um, so he uh, retreated to his ranch in Fish Springs, Nevada, near Lake Tahoe, and the surroundings were good for him, um, as was his medication seemed to be kind of work. He seemed to have um, gotten to a good point with his medication and dosage and everything, and he was starting to get by a little bit with a little less of a struggle than he had been before. So things were kind of starting to look up a little bit for him. He was finding some stability and... um, you know, he had a, he had a relationship and like he was with his horses. And so, and equine therapy is a, or equestrian therapy. That's the word. Equestrian therapy is a real thing. Like sure. people can find a lot of, um, and pet therapy, like find a lot of solace in animals. So, so unfortunately on February 10th, 2008, the, once again, they come back into play Buffalo Sabres 
We're That's right, they were playing Florida. Yep, we're hosting the Florida Panthers when Panthers player Ollie Jokinen? Uh, o- Ollie Jokinen. <laughs> I knew you were going to pronounce okay. it. Ollie Jokinen. Who is one of their, uh, in the history of that franchise, is probably one of their best players. Mm. Okay, so Ollie Jokinen. Mm-hmm. Ollie Jokinen collided with a Sabres player and fell to the ice. So you can see this from multiple angles because it's much later. And his skate cut. Yeah, so he just, his legs, his right mm-hmm. leg sort of flailed up and behind him and just again, another freak accident. Not a goalie, but um, a winger. That's uh, right, yes. Mm-hmm. Richard Zednick mm-hmm. of his team, um, another Panther, uh caught Got the it skate right in, in his throat. throat just as slashed his throat again S- horrifically slim similar to clint's incident um almost 20 years ago 20 years prior a trainer so here's where i think maybe your memory is a little different than what actually happened okay a trainer reached zednik immediately and he had a team he and a teammate immediately escorted uh, zednik off the ice pressing a towel to his neck um, and it really just took no time flat. Um, right after that, the ref and a Panther player helped very quickly usher the doctor from the home team bench across the ice to get to. Uh, okay, maybe Zednick. that's what it is. I think that's what you maybe might be thinking, what I'm thinking of. Yeah, because okay. honestly, it never came up in... Um, but I remember when that happened because I would literally just moved here. I'd only been oh, here okay, for a yeah. couple of months. Yeah. Because I moved here in October of 07. Right, so it's like a few months later. Um, yeah. I wasn't watching the game or anything, but I was watching ESPN, and they showed what had happened. And just all I could remember is the blood trail yes. from where it happened well, because it's spur- it was like blood yes. spatter like yes. a crime scene and there was a trail leading right to the bench mm-hmm. just like in a in a perfect like line they ended up scrubbing it down and then zambonying it yeah yeah i think they continued playing if i'm not mistaken they did. Yeah. yes they did finish the game so at that, I mean, and honestly, he skated right to the bench. Like they got to him fast. This all happened. Their their response was lightning fast. Because if you think about it, they'd seen this before. This has happened before now, um, and it's really interesting. It's, in the it's such a freak accident, like it, it like you really would, is. I'm not sure most people understand how sharp skates yeah, are. I know, right? They're sharp as shit. Razors, and, basically. Yeah, you could cut a can mm-hmm. with a pair of skates that mm-hmm. just got sharpened. Mm-hmm. And easily, they are all, easily. Pros skates are always just sharpened, yes. right? And the fact that this that this does not happen more often right. is almost as crazy. Maybe that's the more notable thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if you if you watch the footage of this injury, the one in 08... It's really interesting because one of the broadcasters, one of, or at least in the um, version I was watching, one of the broadcasters immediately was like, this is reminding me of Clint Malarchuk. And as soon as he said Clint Malarchuk, the other guy went, oh, God. Like, yeah. like that's you could tell he was remembering. He was like, oh, my oh, God. Oh, I've seen that before. Shit. Yeah, I hope that's not. And what's this this wasn't here. nearly as bad, but it was bad. It yes, no, it, yeah, absolutely. Anytime blood is being <laughs> anytime drawn, your throat gets slit. Yes, kind of bad. Yes, uh huh. But this one was 
we're well, desc- we're describing somebody skating off ice with their throat slit with doctors behind them not being as bad as the subject we're I talking know, about. Right? That's how bad it was. So yeah. Um so Zednik remained alert during the entire incident and he was transported to Buffalo General, same place that Clint went. Um, and his carotid artery had been cut, but not severed. So it was obviously a terrifying injury, still dangerous, but they were able to very easily stabilize him. And he was treated quickly and efficiently by the doctors and the medical staff at Buffalo General. Zednik was later asked if he ever watched the footage of his injury. And he said that he had, but only once because, quote, once is enough. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like like it happened yeah. to me. I didn't have to like, watch I, it. I don't need to watch that again, yeah. Yeah. He received immediate counseling, took a full year off from playing, and he was able to return to a successful career and ended up retiring in 2011. So he okay, got the support he Okay, I didn't realize he, he played needed. that long. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He played for a long time. Yeah, he did. So because of the parallels to Clint's injury, he was immediately contacted by media outlets uh, for comments or whatever. So there was no escaping the news. You know, like he couldn't just pretend he Yeah, because the last time anybody had seen this... Was was him, almost 20 years earlier. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Clint told the Calgary Herald, quote, I called in sick. Now remember, this is to his um, coaching job. Mm Mm-hmm. And I was sick in my head, in my heart. I didn't have a cold. I didn't have the flu. But I felt sick just the same. I could not deal with this. It's been a hard day for me. A very hard day. Harder, actually, I think, than when I was hurt. Wow. Which shows how horrible the mental trauma was as opposed to his physical trauma. And also goes to show you, like, when you're in the middle of it, you're just in the middle of it. You don't have... You're surviving. Right. You don't yeah. really have much time to think. Right. And then when it's all over and, and done, you're like, oh. Mm-hmm. Like, that was a close call. Yeah. He commented further that ha- he had actually seen his own injury footage many, oh many times. Thanks to YouTube. Because this is 08 at yep. this point. Sure. And that he had grown detached from it in a way. Like, he'd seen it so much, he said it almost looked like it happened to somebody else. Sure. Um, but then he said... And maybe that's what his goal was. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's entirely possible, too. But then he said of uh, Zednik's injury... Injury? Injury. <laughs> of Zednik's injury, quote, but this, I couldn't bring myself to look, end quote. So he was able to watch his own injury multiple times, but he couldn't watch this. Because he couldn't detach himself from somebody else. Yeah, yeah. That's, mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's the thing. Well, what that is is empathy, mm-hmm. which is good. <laughs> it's a good thing, but it can be a really hard thing, mm-hmm. too. So that's what he said on the record. Off the record, Clint was having what he described himself as a total mental breakdown. So he, this was, this was right after um, Zednik's injury. He began... Uh, self-medicating with alcohol and becoming very withdrawn and his OCD just really got out of control. And his mental and emotional problems very unsurprisingly led to a strained relationship with Joan, his wife. And on October 7th, 2008, so about eight months after uh, the injury of Zednik, Joan returned to her in Clint's house from running errands or something. I forget, honestly forget what she said, but it was like in an afternoon and she couldn't find Clint. 
So she eventually found him sitting behind a shed on their property. Remember, they're at the ranch, right? Mm. And he was sitting there and he started talking about how he couldn't live like he was. He he couldn't uh, stand being inside his own head. He couldn't live like this, things like that. He grabbed his rifle that was next to him and shot himself under his chin directly up. What? In front of Joan. Mm-hmm. Did you not know this part? No. Yeah. yeah. No. Um, and then they, she said that they just like sh- sat there for a second. Like she was like, it wasn't immediate, appa- immediately apparent what happened. And then she said his nose started to bleed. And he said, he was able to say to her, see what you made me do? Obviously, he's just fucked up in the head yeah. at this point, yeah. So Joan called 911, obviously, immediately. Um, the bullet had shattered Clint's teeth, chin, cheekbone, and eye socket. And uh, split his tongue, apparently, like <sighs> severed his tongue. Uh, so when... Uh, Police and but paramedics. Didn't kill him. No, he was he was alive and talking. <laughs> what the fuck? When uh, when police and paramedics arrived, <clears throat> he initially refused treatment. He's like, no, I'm not going anywhere. Um, but he was eventually flown to a hospital in Reno, and initially the injury was reported as a hunting accident. Um, but like the officials were like this isn't this isn't a hunting accident and Joan later said she specifically told the sheriff the truth of what happened in order to force Clint to deal with what was going on and to get help so in the end Clint's suicide attempt was unsuccessful as he woke up in the hospital with a bullet permanently permanently lodged in his skull oh and shit really you can see it on this x-ray. Oh my god. Where it lives in his brain. Or in his face to this day. Uh, like in his forehead. Yep. Wow. Yep. So he was released from the hospital in less than a week. But at that point, he entered a rehab facility in California for treatment of his OCD, PTSD, and alcoholism. In the rehab, Clint worked with a psychiatrist named Tina Galordi. After his 30-day required stint was over, he was just like, fuck this, bye, and left the facility. But he didn't have any resources. He had no cash. He had nothing. Like, he would have to get Joan to come and get him. And she, like, tough loved that shit. And she said, nope, I'm not coming to get you. You walk right back inside. Hmm. And he did. And he stayed for a total of six months in in the rehab facility. And he continued to work with uh, Dr. Galordi. So over that time... <laughs> All while he has a fucking bullet a in bullet. his head. Well, he still does, yeah. <laughs> so over those months, Dr. Galordi helped Clint talk through his problems, helped calibrate his medication properly to make sure he was getting the dosage and the type of medication he needed. And Clint said, quote, I finally realized I didn't have to do it alone anymore, Hmm. end quote. So when Joan picked him up from the facility after six full months, she said, quote, he was back to the man I first fell in love with, only better. Nice. Good. So Clint began speaking publicly about how his trauma and struggles with mental health and about 
his trauma and struggles with mental health and substance abuse. In 2014, he co-wrote a book, A Matter of Inches, How I Survived in the Crease and Beyond. Confronting everything through the process of writing caused a brief alcohol relapse for him, uh, but he was able to reach out to Dr. Galordi, and she helped him stabilize and rebalance his medication, and he has reportedly stayed sober to date. Clint is now 58 years old and continues with speaking engagements. On his website, he lists himself as author, professional speaker, former NHL goalie, suicide survivor, honorary doctorate recipient, okay. mental health advocate. And he has said, quote, I've got a real life, real purpose in my life now, end quote. And this is him from the cover of his book with his scar pretty visible mm, there. Yeah. And that, my friends, wow. is the story of Clint Malarczyk and how he survived surviving a traumatic incident. Yeah, it's a, and, and I do have a... So something that happened when I was playing hockey, when I was growing up, that happened when this happened, when his neck injury happened immediately, and this is pretty much at the end of our season. And um, you were like 12? I would have been, yeah, I, yes, been I would 12. have been 12. Um, and this is, this was, this happened at the end of March? Yeah, March 22nd. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, where I grew up, hockey happens from about mid-August to... Uh, maybe late April, early early May. It's a school yearish. Yeah, you've got about eight months where you're playing constantly. So when this thing happened, immediately, neck we, guards. We all had to wear neck guards, <laughs> yeah. which I hated wearing. Mm-hmm. I really did because they're itchy and just awkward and yeah. Yeah, imagine that. And the odds of that happening are so slim. Well, it's happened twice, it has. <laughs> basically. And it it, it was it. I think I saw it one time, like right around the time this happened. Oh, the footage and stuff, yeah. And never saw it again. Saw the news or whatever. Never really saw it again until YouTube. Yeah. And it was like, holy shit. Yeah. It's fucking brutal. It is brutal. And that's, that's kind of the thing and why I wanted to cover this. Well, for one thing, like one second... Your life can be one thing, and the next second it turns into com- something completely different. And that that's the reality we all live with. That could happen at any point. If you're watching the YouTube video, it happens so fast, you can't even break down how it even happened no. in the first place. You, you can't even slow it down enough no. to see what happened. It happens yeah. so fast. Really, really fast. Um and and that's the thing is just life can literally one's entire life can turn on a dime mm-hmm. just in an absolute heartbeat and the i what i thought was just well there's a lot of remarkable things about his story but that i i think it, it's exactly what i said before that surviving can be one thing. I mean, and he was met with a hero's welcome when he started playing again, because of course everyone, but he was probably still so fucked up, but like, but it's just surviving. Something can be the survival part of it is a brutal process too. It's not just like, Oh, you're so lucky. You're so hashtag blessed. Yeah, fuck that. That's just 
It's not rainbows and unicorns. No, exactly. There's a whole other... Because now you have to go live the rest of your life. Um, If you're lucky, you get to go live the rest of your life. You can make it through the rest of your life, you know? Because otherwise, this can dredge up shit or shit you didn't even know was there. Mm -hmm. You know? In his case, it, it just made sort of some stuff that was already a little bit there just absolutely unbearable. And I found... um, So I have been extremely lucky in my lifetime not to have to deal with a traumatic incident what i would call a traumatic incident period but especially nothing to this magnitude um and i've had times as someone who just has had mental health struggles where i i how he described it resonated with me like i just can't be inside my own head like mm-hmm. i can't deal with what's in my head like this is so awful and overwhelming i can't it's like you want to crawl out of your own skin yes yes demetrius wants to crawl into this room see, just like that, that. <laughs> but i but i've been there before mentally yeah. and it's just mm-hmm. like i you know it's like i can't be it's this anymore so unbearable it is so unbearable And so that really resonated with me and I think probably does with a lot of people, whether you've been through trauma or not, you know, like that's a really common human experience to have gone through something like that. Um, And then to have, he got to a point where he was... And then to do it in front of tens of thousands of people, like that's his job, is to go out and play goaltender on mm-hmm. an NHL level, and mm-hmm. he's still dealing with this. Mm-hmm. Without saying word one. In, mm-hmm. in front of a mass audience. Yeah. That is, for Show one, that is, for one, cheering him on, like, holy shit, this guy came mm-hmm. back. And, and meanwhile, he's like, I had no other choice. Like, I think that's right. kind of how he left it in his head. He's like, yeah. I had to just... Well, that's what he said. That's why he returned so quickly. He's like, he was like... I got to get over this. I, well, and I have to run away from what I'm feeling mm-hmm. right now because that that's the main thing. I mean, we do all sorts of shit to not feel the way we feel sometimes, right? It's like it's to it's numb normal. or block out. Yeah, mm-hmm. It's normal. It, it is normal. It is normal. It's not always healthy and it's not always helpful, but it is very normal. <laughs> but just know if you've gone through that, so has everybody else. It, uh, yeah, uh, uh, it's it's In it is a common human experience, a very common human experience, and then that he went through that was sort of starting to pull his life together just a little bit, and then freak accident and, number two, and the slightest thing like just a trigger mm-hmm. is what it was, an absolute trigger, uh, a once every two decades incident happened. Yeah, because it literally has not happened since then. Mm-hmm. Yep. And those are the only two instances where it really has ever happened. We're talking about a league that is over 100 years old. With thousands and thousands of games played. Every year. Yep. Absolutely. So, and then on top of all that, he finally got to a place where he was like, fuck this. I'm done. Like, I am just done. And he he was just like, you just can't do this anymore. And he's like, okay, I'm going to end it all. And freak. And that wasn't even enough. Coincidence, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, it didn't work. And I'm I'm sure when he was refusing treatment, he was probably thinking, just let me just, fucking die. Yeah, exactly. Just, just no. I don't even want help. Um, And I think that the 
the best part of this story, obviously, is that he was given help. He Whether he wanted it or not, he got help. And it actually, in the end, worked. And you know what I also really appreciated was... Um, reading about how when he wrote his book, it kind of dredged up some shit and he had a relapse Mm -hmm. and then he got back on track and he was okay. And I think that's a really like good part of the story too, to note like shit happens. Yeah. And that doesn't mean you've suddenly nullified your work. You know, you get back on track. That's what happens. Sometimes it doesn't work out and you just get back on track. That's how it works, you know, and it, it was just uh, and I'm I'm glad like I didn't put a ton of this in the story for my own selective biases. But like he apparently um, developed a faith and and things like that. But um, honestly, I say but, but whatever I mean, that, gets you through. That makes sense to <laughs> like go for it. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So it's just like, you know, shit happens and it's not fair. And it's not fun, and it's it's life, and that really mm-hmm. sucks sometimes. Mm-hmm. It really sucks sometimes. And not everyone's going to have to go through it, but some of us are, and some of us have, and some of us will. And, like, I don't know, I'm out of, like, fucking inspirational things to say, <laughs> uh, other than, like the the struggle of like a before and after I can totally mm-hmm. relate to and even even though I've not been through a traumatic incident like that just that feeling what your brain does in circumstances like that um I do think like something that's always helped me in my own mental health is to remember that your brain can lie to you sometimes really absolutely. horrifically yeah absolutely um, and it's important to recognize when it's doing that and to to try and separate that. This is what my brain is telling me or this is what my emotions are telling me. This is not reality. And I need to separate. It's, it's like a, it's, it's like the Ghetto Boy song. Oh, boy. My mind's playing tricks on me. You said that like it was supposed to be so. It's, um, great. it's a great song. Okay. Is this getting too serious for you? It's just, it, it's... I mean, having played this sport for all of my uh, young life mm-hmm. coming up, you'll, I mean, freak injuries happen. I've seen things like, like, oh, that guy's shoulder is like turned around the yeah. wrong, like weird shit, but I've never seen anything like this. Like it's, yeah. it's so. Well, I think that's what's, that's what sort of. Uh, got me on this track like when I was looking at all the sports injuries I thought about like Joe Theismann and some of the which are horrific injuries Joe, Joe Theismann's is horrific but he wasn't going to die exactly like like he his was, life was never no his in life danger. was not in jeopardy this that, guy's life was decisions away from being over seconds away that too if it just hadn't been if, if the trainer that it was no shit yeah i mean so yeah there you go i mean th- there's there's so much out of there's so much out of everybody's control yes. in this situation 
thankfully it worked out. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. I mean, again, not to plug the video, but if you think you can handle yeah. it, then just look it up. I mean, it's yeah. it's as brutal as we're yeah. telling you it is. The uh, the 30 for 30 short I recommend, too, especially. Yeah. Um, because it's him telling it in his own words. And what what I find so, like, moving is how... I think that the film was done in like 2011 or something like that, but um, at any rate, years later, how you could tell just talking about it, like his eyes welled up, it clearly became incredibly difficult for him to mm-hmm. talk about. That's how traumatic that was. That That's not going to leave him. He almost died. He almost died. And talking about it is incredibly upsetting. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, yeah, of course it is, you know. Um, he almost died playing a sport. It's like okay, if you, yeah, right? if, if, you, if you if you almost died going to war, like okay, people accept that. They're like oh, that makes sense. It's still horrifically traumatic. It is, but people are like you know, there's there's like okay, maybe more prepared for it, I guess, on some level. That too, potentially. But playing a sport, yeah. oh, I almost died playing mm-hmm. a sport. That just doesn't register with people. No, no, <laughs> you know, and it shouldn't. Yeah, so. I, I guess, too, I'd like to say if you are in a position where things aren't going so well for you and you don't think it's going to be worth hanging on, it is. It is. It is. And, and just reach out to somebody. Absolutely. There are so many tools to do that now. Yes. So just grasp on to one of them. Yep. Whatever it is. Just reach out. Just reach out. One, mm-hmm. like, if, if it's that bad, just reach out to somebody. Yeah. Even if it's a stranger. Yep. Even if it's us. Yep. We're here. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. So, it's, yeah. It's a tough one. It's a tough one because it's such a personal thing. It's just, like, one guy, you know. Somehow it's easier talking about, like, oh, and 300 people died. Because it's almost like a, I don't know. Their suffering is over. Well, that, it's I mean, like faceless. I don't know. It's weird. Uh, it, it, sadly, this quote comes from Stalin. Okay. The Stalin. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says, uh, "One is a tragedy; a million is a statistic." Right. Right. And yeah. that's and that's really. It you can know. go kind of go that way, yeah. But anyway, I feel like we've rambled a fair I amount this have. episode, both in the beginning and the end. <laughs> yeah, we have. So, yeah. yeah. So, what is the title? Oh, the well, actual you can, title. You can just call it the story of, but I'm. I think I'm gonna call it um, "Surviving Survival." I think that's an excellent title. Yeah. Yes. The story of Clint Malarchuk. Yes. So that was "Surviving Survival," the story of Clint Malarchuk. This has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>